St. Paul's letter to the Romans 13 11-14, 14-1-4. Brethren, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, let us conduct ourselves becomingly as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh, to gratify its desires. As for the man who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not for disputes over opinions. One believes he may eat anything, while the weak man eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who abstains, and let not him who abstains pass judgment on him who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for God is able to make him stand. Dash 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 dash. Paul begins this passage to the church in Rome with a reference to the most important historical event. He says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. From the moment of Jesus' resurrection to the moment that he returned in judgment against the nation of Israel was the period to which Paul was referring. From the moment that Adam sinned in the garden to the moment Jesus died on the cross, man lived in slavery to sin and death. Eventually, God gave men the old covenant law with all of its rules and regulations, as an act of mercy to give men a foundation upon which to judge their thoughts and actions. But from the moment Jesus rose from the dead, the old covenant was fulfilled and the new covenant was set in motion, never to cease or change. The period from the resurrection to Jesus' coming in judgment against Israel was a strange overlap of old and new covenants. Paul is reminding the church in Rome of the coming transition when Israel would be no more, and all aspects of the old covenant would be gone. From that moment forward, the darkness of slavery to sin and death would be gone. It is within this context that Paul reminds his readers that their connection to that world has been severed and no longer are they to live in a way that ties them back to that. In connection with that old covenant world, Paul is also referring to the old pagan world from which the Gentile believers had emerged. The depravity, the perversion and idolatry of the pagan world no longer is part of the life of the believer. Just like the old covenant with its rules and regulations is no longer part of the life of the Jewish follower of Jesus Christ. Now that Jesus has defeated sin and death, those who are part of the body of Christ are to look forward to light, to love and to freedom from the old ways. While the historic Christian church reads this passage in the context of Lent, the underlying message should not be missed. It is not only Lent that self-control is to be exercised and energy and focus is exerted toward living a life of love toward God and love toward neighbor. That mindset is to be the standard at all times for the follower of Christ. Because all men come from different backgrounds, different experiences and different perspectives and understanding, no one is in the place of judge against his brother. Whether in Lent or outside of it, the exercising of self-control is exactly that. It is about self, not about looking upon the actions of others and making sure other people are following the rules. Our life in Christ is not about rules and regulations, it is about love for God and love for neighbor. So while the tools of fasting, prayer, confession, self-sacrifice and many others should be regularly used by the follower of Christ, no one has the right or authority to impose any of these things upon someone else. Each man is to strive after holiness and seek to love. Paul makes this very clear. The weak should not judge the strong and the strong should not look down upon the weak. God is our judge and it is to him that we will answer. Paul uses an interesting phrase here, he says, it is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for God is able to make him stand. Read over this sentence very carefully. Each one of us will stand or fall before God as our master. But God will hold us up because he is able to make us stand. These should be incredibly reassuring words. If we are striving after holiness and being honest in our own self-assessment, 
God will be faithful and will hold us up. We should judge no one. When we judge someone else, we are trying to impose our own way of thinking and are setting ourselves up as judges over them. But no one answers to us, all men only answer to God. This perspective is seen with great clarity in the Gospel reading as well. In Matthew 6 14-21, we read, The Lord said, If you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look dismal, like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by men but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus speaks with great clarity and reminds His hearers just what is it that should be our goal and attitude. When our attitude is right, we will approach life using the tools that God has given us in our striving after holiness. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason is not beneficial. Fasting, so as to make a good impression on those around us, is to fast for the wrong reason. As Jesus points out, if the goal of your fasting is to gain sympathy or a good showing from those around you, then that will be the extent of your reward. But instead, if you don't look like you are fasting and there is nothing attention-grabbing about you, God will bless your efforts at self-control. The way that Jesus ends this passage is important. The use of the term treasures, twice, is important to acknowledge and understand. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, and then again at the end, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The point here is not about having possessions, it is about our attitude toward those things that we have. This is about perspective. What we identify as treasure will reveal what we identify as important. If we are storing up treasures on earth, this means that we identify wealth as the most important thing. On the other hand, if we are storing up love for God and love for our neighbor, this means that love is the most important and that sort of treasure will be stored in heaven. Unless we have chosen the monastic path, possessions are a necessity. We need a place to live, we need food to eat and clothes to wear. But the faithful follower of Christ will not find these things a treasure but instead mere necessities in order to maintain life. The faithful follower of Christ will not treasure material wealth and comfort, instead his efforts will be toward love. Again, this assessment is a personal one and not something that is to be imposed upon another. We must be faithful and critique ourselves in this regard. What is actually important to us? What is our treasure?